You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 289th edition of Assembly Call Radio and our 943rd episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of May 4th, 2023. I'm your host, Andy Bottoms. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. Well, as for this week's banner moment, not a lot to pick from uh, because there's not a lot of news in the in the uh, IU basketball world. I, I guess I would say personally, uh, banner moment was my uh, my younger daughter had a solo in her sixth grade chorus concert tonight and did a good job. So uh, that'll be my personal banner moment. I mean, from an IU perspective, uh, really, you look at the addition of Anthony Walker. Uh, thought you know Jared and Coach handled that well in the emergency pod. Coach live and on location uh, from his car. Uh, for that one, that's the the level of dedication that uh, that he has to the to the the program. But uh, you know, I think a good depth piece. Uh, not a guy who's going to push this team over the top by any stretch of the imagination. But I do think it's a guy that you can call on uh, if you need some additional depth uh, in the front court. Especially we've talked about Renew's foul issues as a freshman. Hopefully, that's something he outgrows as a sophomore. But if not, uh, I think you feel good about being able to have. Uh, a, a experienced guy like Walker as the backup. And the other piece of news really from a scheduling perspective, which uh, dovetails well into one of the topics that we're going to hit on tonight. Uh, that was the report that IU is going to play Auburn in December uh, in Atlanta. I think, uh, you know, we, we talk about this a lot, trying to figure out how you get better games, how you how you get games on the schedule that aren't going to hurt you um, and, and really give you chances to beat other power conference teams. This one on a neutral site, that always helps. And I think Atlanta, given some of the uh, inroads that IU's had recently there from a recruiting standpoint, I think it makes a lot of sense. And so uh, still a lot of pieces left to fall as you put the schedule together. But I think that's a good one for IU to be able to look forward to uh, as we uh, as we move into the uh, to the rest of the offseason. Uh, with that, let me introduce my co-host this week. Jared and Ryan are both off, but here with me, he's a longtime high school basketball coach in the state of Indiana, founder of Delphi Bracketology, and who's your nation's most famous porch dancer? He remembers the days when a movie cost a dollar. Heaven help you if you ever decide to pop your collar. Play hard, but remember, fake hustle is a crime. He's the coach and it's Tonsoni time. All right, Coach, what's on your mind this week? Well, a pretty slow week uh, of news, um, but um, still moving in the right direction. The roster is getting closer to be completed. I think we, we emphasized on that emergency pod that this was a depth piece. Uh, anytime you're going to bring in five transfers, uh, they're either all five going to start or some of them will have to be uh, backups. I, I thought uh, Indiana was hit hardest in numbers in the post. 
Uh, obviously, the shooting and the scoring from the wing has been a, a need of Indiana basketball for, for a while. And those last two spots, it looks like uh, with the names that are popping up and the contact that's being made and the young man that's supposedly visiting uh, this weekend, that you're going to get a wing or two uh, in the last two spots. So uh, just trying to be patient there. Really happy with the Auburn uh, schedule uh, game. You know, interesting, we'll have Rocco Miller on here in the second part, uh, and he knows a lot and reports out a lot about games as they're being scheduled and also a well-known bracketologist. But as you and I know that you got to play people uh, in, in uh, the non-conference. you got to have some level of success. But even playing people and getting beat helps. As, as we saw, Indiana did not play well against Kansas or Arizona score-wise but was able to get a four seed, and part of that was you, you challenged yourself, and, and you got the the Emerald uh, Games or whatever, or whatever that's called in New York City, where em, you're going to get Empire, Empire, Empire There Classic. is an Emerald something else, so I don't want yeah, to Yeah, I think it's out west, right? Someplace in, I, I'm not sure. I was going to say Florida, so one yeah, of us is so bound to be right. Those, those games, uh, it's, I mentioned quickly, we didn't talk a lot about it on that emergency podcast, but that's what Indiana basketball needs to do. They need to schedule – uh, at least, I think, five or six of these uh, really top-notch games, and then some of the five or six you have remaining in the non-conference still need to challenge with that mid-level you know, uh, type of game to get ready for what is a gruesome Big Ten, even even in years that the Big Ten is down. So I, I really was pleased to see that. That's at least four games uh, against Power 5 schools. Got to replace that ACC Big Ten challenge. There's a quick, good question coming up later on that. Uh, just, uh, you know, wrapping up the, the spring, get these guys home for a little bit and then get them back on campus uh, to get their workouts going and, and build uh, for next year. But the news has been, Andy, coming re- rather regular for the most part, maybe not as fast as we all want uh, to fill all those positions quickly with the guys we want right off the bat. But I think we've had a, st- a slow trickle of news, which has kept us going. This is the first week that um, it's kind of slowed down uh, a little bit, but um, – yeah, feeling pretty good, actually, about Indiana basketball. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, this week coming up, uh, we said we'll do some Hoosier headlines, a couple of which we've already touched on. Uh, and then segment two, we got Rocco Miller coming on. We bring, may bring him on earlier uh, as well, but uh, a great bracketologist, a guy who's been on some of the Fielding the 68 uh, episodes with me over the last couple of seasons, and uh, also a guy who's really into the scheduling uh, so I wanted to talk with him. Uh, felt like it was a good time to talk a little bit about scheduling and some of the philosophies out there and, and how that impacts bracketology. And then we've got a mailbag that we'll hit in segment three, as we always do. So all of that is coming up this week on Assembly Call Radio. But now let's talk about our presenting sponsor. And this edition of Assembly Call Radio, just like all shows on the Back Home Network, is presented by our friends at Home Field Apparel, where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel you'll find anywhere with beloved logos like two different versions of the Bison and so many more. Bottom line is that Home Field has something unique for fans and grads of pretty much every school with unique vintage logos for all of them. And no matter what you buy, you know it'll be comfortable and the colors will last through many washings. Plus, you're supporting an Indiana-based company that came up through the Kelly School of Business. And what could be better than that? And uh, as we get close to... Whether it be Mother's Day, graduation season, Father's Day, great time to look on home field apparel. They're coming out with refreshes for a bunch of schools. Uh, I know we have neighbors who have three boys who graduated high school. 
in the last few years, the last of which is coming up this year. And our go-to gift for them uh, for each of the first two has been home field shirts for wherever they're going. Uh, they actually, their mom texted the other day, uh, asked my wife where we had gotten the shirts because they intended to do the same thing for some other people. And uh, at the same, that happened to be the day they had their 30% off flash sale. So it worked out well, served as a good reminder for me that I needed to buy a shirt for their son that graduates this year. And, uh, and you know, as, as one is wont to do, picked up a couple things for myself while I was working for somebody else. So uh, if you want to check them out, you can go to homefieldapparel.com and use our promo code home to get 15% off your entire first order. That's promo code home for 15% off. Once again, that website is homefieldapparel.com. Wear one for the team. Yeah, I'm a size uh, 3X, 3XL for anyone who, you know, uh, wants to show some appreciation. <laughs> I'll, I'll post uh, absolutely. my address. Uh, just call Connor. He has my address. Uh, yeah, so. yeah. He'll just he'll just send it, slip it in with the next shipment that's probably already on its way to your house. So. Yeah. Uh, all right, so who's your headlines? We, we talked to Anthony Walker a little bit. Um, as I mentioned, you know, Jared and Coach got on, did a, a good emergency pod that, that – dug a little bit deeper into that so if, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that yet would definitely encourage people to go back and do that uh on the this year recruiting uh you know component you've got mckenzie mbaco on uh official visit this weekend uh he's visited st john's in kansas so uh that's really a big one i know you guys talked a little bit about him one of those uh potential wing scorers that and shooters that that iu really needs so that becomes a pretty huge visit of being able to try to land him uh, you've got coaches out at the live uh, high school recruiting events, number of offers going out to top 75 players. Uh, and you had New Palestine's Ian Stevens uh, joining IU as a preferred walk-on. Uh, he was an all Hoosier Heritage Conference uh, player last season. Pretty much takes the place of Nathan Childress in terms of being a walk-on, a decent size, athleticism, uh, and, and you know a guy who could play at a smaller school but has opted to play at IU uh, and also played for uh, you know, Jordan Hole's AAU team. So, uh, seems like everything you read about him will be a good addition as a preferred walk-on, and uh, it's certainly exciting news uh, for him. So, you know, coach, any of those um, you know stand out to you? Any of the other recruiting news in particular that uh, particularly has your ear? Probably the Mabaco stuff, but uh, even any of the high school guys uh, that they've been out seeing uh, kind of catch your eye at all so far? Yeah, the Mabaco thing is very intriguing to me. Uh, committed to Duke, and then. When Filipowski came back, uh, wanted to go elsewhere. You know, Kansas uh, and Dickin. Uh, you put the Dickinson, uh, you know, transfer there. Uh, does Mabaco see you know time points minutes where, you know, reading between the lines, not trying to get anyone too excited, but you know, there there's not someone in his way. Uh, where hasn't been established. X is going to be the point guard. That could be a real good selling point this weekend. That you can come in here and be a featured. Uh, part of of the offense, if the if the staff believes that highly in this young man, he's what a top five recruit, top set ten recruit um, coming out. Uh, obviously, freshmen have to prove themselves, but uh, we we got a lot of good mileage uh, from a highly recruited uh, Jalen Hood Shafino and Malik Renew. Uh, it would be really nice to get this guy who has some face up game, and that's been my word, Andy, all, all off season is face up game, face up game. You, you want your fours to have some face up game. You don't even mind if your fives have a face-up game in this positionless basketball. You need to be able to shoot. You need to be able to drive. You need to be able to post up a little bit, do a variety. I think this guy is intriguing. Uh, again, you know, you watch his highlight film. He shoots 99% from three. 
dunks all the time and, and just plays outstanding basketball. But it's athleticism. Again, we're talking about dudes. We, we got beat by a Miami roster that was full of athletes, and we, we need to get there as a program. And, and I just think overall Coach Woodson is heading that direction. He's just got to finish. You know, it's not a complete uh, class yet. So that sticks out to me. The other thing is um, the Ian Stevens joining, I know that doesn't get a lot of, um, you know, notoriety or, or Twitter, but when you have depth in practice, you can do a lot of things. And, and this guy could go to some smaller schools, definitely, uh, you know, uh, and play and get on the court during game time. But he's going to come and sacrifice, go through all the weightlifting, all the training, uh, same thing that Nathan Childress did, and we, we talked uh, last about him moving on to Indiana Wesleyan, so he gets to play that senior year. Th- th- that's good. Anytime you can get some size in there to, to run, he's not going to be, uh, you know, the, like a starter going up against a, another type of starter, but it does give you some depth to rest some guys, you know, the old load management, and if people need a practice off, you're not having a, a drop down to some – you know, uh, GAs and, and other things who might have to step in, managers who might have to step in, although a lot of those guys do well too in practice. But anytime you get these guys who are willing to sacrifice, they're a big part of any program. Uh, so I just want to give Ian uh, a shout-out here. Congratulations for selecting Indiana, and, and uh, we wish you nothing but uh, enjoying, y- you know, your time here at Indiana, and then maybe, you know, y- you play for two or three years, build your game, and go somewhere. That would be awesome for Ian. But those are important parts um, uh, of programs for practice purposes, bench morale, a lot of things like that. And obviously he played for Jordan Hall's AAU team, so he knows what Indiana basketball is all about. But congratulations to that young man in becoming a Hoosier. Yeah, and you alluded to the other piece of Big Ten news. That's Hunter Dickinson committing to Kansas. Um, you know, I, I, Obviously the Big Ten news was not him leaving Michigan, but Maryland was uh, in the mix uh, from a recruiting standpoint, but uh, decides to go to Kansas. Uh, I think if you kind of put aside your thoughts on the overall saga of his recruitment and how that was handled and the uh, whatever the hell that video was that he, um, that he used to announce his decision today, uh, I think when you look past that from a basketball perspective, it makes a lot of sense. It makes sense for Kansas. Um, it makes sense for him. I, I think you do look at how that might impact the Mabaco decision. It's another mouth to feed. What does that really look like? Somebody ran down their roster, just a loaded roster. Um, And and Dickinson was really the kind of piece they didn't have in terms of a true big guy in the middle. They played really small. KJ Adams was fantastic last year, but uh, really undersized. And so this will give them a different look and, uh, and things like that. But, but you wonder if that has some lingering impact on the, the recruitment of Mabaco, whether that means it's something good for IU or not. That remains to be seen, but um, I do think you could, you know, draw some questions there and, and figure that out. And uh, you know, Dickinson, a guy that has uh, played in Assembly Hall before, and will do so again this season as a member of the Jayhawks uh, in December when they come to Bloomington. So uh, IU fans are not totally rid of him uh, yet in that scenario. But uh, like I said, I think from a basketball perspective, that made as much sense as anywhere for him uh, to go, and uh, you know kind of put the other stuff aside we I guess, need to a we need extent. to teach him a little podcast etiquette he, he's had some issues in predicting big wins <laughs> and then getting blown off the floor and then his his video game needs a little bit uh, more work his basketball game is really solid but his off the court game needs a needs a a, a little work there yeah you know kansas has just a, a lot of personnel and, and maybe that benefits indiana and that recruitment of of mabaco we'll see 
you got him on campus, uh, and he's the third third uh, visit of his, so maybe we can keep him on campus uh, and, and get him to uh, to sign. That would just be a, a huge talent upgrade uh, for uh, our Indiana Hoosiers. Yeah, that would really, I mean, as you look at the roster and what this team needs, that would be such go such a long way to fill in that hole. I think that would, uh, I don't know that the fan base will ever be at ease per se, but it would certainly go a long way to making people feel a little bit comfortable with that aspect of things. So uh, we'll see what happens with that recruitment and, and go from there. But uh, coming up on Assembly Call Radio, we're going to be joined by our special guest, Rocco Miller, who knows uh, as much about college basketball scheduling as anybody. And we'll pick his brain a little bit about that, talk about the implications of that on bracketology. So stick with us here on the Assembly Call. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. All right. Hello, everyone. Good to have you. Jared said you'd be here about, what, 9.15, 9.20, so we can kill a little yep. time here in the uh, he's in here. meantime. Oh, is he? Okay. I see. I'm not logged into the assembly call account, so I couldn't. Oh, uh, okay. That was on me then. I rock. You know, every once in a while, every once in a while, it like kicks me out, and I just don't bother to figure out what the password is anymore, and I just log in separately. So it's fine. Rocco, what's up, man? Hey, good to see you. Thanks for having me yeah, on. You too. Happy to do it. Happy to do yeah. it. No, my pleasure as well. Don't get to talk about this too often, so we'll see where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. So before we hop on, I feel like you alluded to this at some point during our conversations, either before or during fielding the 68. But am I correct in saying that you do some work with schools related to scheduling? Is that the, yeah, I think that's definitely fair to say. I mean, I, okay. I didn't want to misrepresent anything, you know, set you up to have an infomercial or anything like that. I, you know, do what you need to do, but uh, I just (laughs) want to make sure I wasn't misrepresenting what I, what I thought I heard. So no, no, I appreciate that. No, I think, I think it's pretty known at this point. I've, I probably over the last like five years, I'm, I'm sure I've reached out to every single school and talked to most of them. So it's, you know, it just like with everything else, it takes years, but it, it builds and builds over time. So it's been good. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. All right. We'll talk a little bit about that and we'll uh, probably hit some kind of the bracketology angles since all three of us have that in common. So we'll, uh, yeah, we'll talk a bit about that and just kind of see where, see where it takes us. All right, here we go. Segment two, here we go. What's going on? It's Christian Wofford. What's the only thing better than an epic buzzer beater? Celebrating it with friends afterwards. Join my guys, Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on the assembly call after every IU game. Go Hoosiers. 
All right, and welcome back to the Assembly Call. I'm Andy Bottoms here with the coach, Brian Tonsoni, and a special guest I'm really excited to welcome in. Uh, he's Rocco Miller. He covers college basketball, does bracketology work, has been on the fielding the 68 shows with me the last couple of seasons, and uh, tracks non-conference scheduling uh, over both at his website, bracketeer.org, as well as uh, following him on Twitter, uh, is these days filled with a lot of uh, information about whether it's uh, some of the preseason tournaments and, and events and things like that, but also uh, a lot of other things in the scheduling world. So, uh, Rocco, thanks for joining us. I know you've been on um, the uh, podcast with Alex from Inside the Hall, on a podcast on the brink a few times, so probably a familiar voice to some Hoosier fans, but uh, first time here, so we're happy to have you. Welcome. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate it. It's, it's always good to be on with you and and uh, Mr. Brian Tonsani, good to see you again. And um, yeah, no, I, it's it's to me like all of it goes hand in hand, right? Like the, the as soon as the Final Four is over every year, uh, that to, for me is the start of next year's schedule. I know some of the games are, are done years in advance, but a lot of the scheduling and strategy, especially in today's net era, as we all know, it's been around for about four seasons total. Um, the analytics that are involved in scheduling are, are very strategic and um, well incorporated across all levels of college basketball now. So it's it's something that I've wanted to be a part of and, and anything I can do to add value for programs as they plan their schedule um, is, is pretty much why I do it. And then, you know, from a basketball season standpoint, just covering games in person and then doing all the bracketology stuff with you guys and um, a lot of the same work you do January through March. It, it, to me, it just all comes together over a 12 month cycle every year. So it just makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I, I know we talked about this just a, briefly during the break. So you work with a number of schools um, on helping them schedule, understanding the implications of choices they may make from a scheduling standpoint. So I guess just to ground everybody in, in what that looks like, maybe talk through the process that you go through with them and, and what the key data points are that you use to, to try to give them advice and consultation on, on decisions that they can make. Yeah. So it obviously varies from league to league. So in the, in the power conference structure, there's probably not a lot of value I can bring unless it's maybe a one or two uh, uh, off neutral game or getting them in the event they want to get into. Um, you know, if you're an IU, for example, Indiana is probably getting courted by every big event every year. In fact, they're probably signed to play events in future years. Um, so the top of the sport from a scheduling standpoint holds all the cards. Uh, and then there's a there's a bunch of different tiers below the top of the sport where even middle of the pack Big Ten or bottom of the Big Ten teams, um, they're basically going to be fighting for either, you know, you could take maybe like a Penn State type approach last year and scramble your way into the Charleston Classic, get three games that way, uh, figure out a couple other maybe neutral games to do or, or good series. Like I think Penn State for a long time was supposed to have a series with VCU. So the scheduling strategy um, changes from program to program based on your access to events. And that's kind of where scheduling starts for, for every program. So even if you're talking to you know, uh, IUPUI, they're probably starting their process by figuring out what event they want to be in and then how many times they want to get a check, uh, which is what in the industry we call a buy game or a guarantee game. And um, then they're going to fill in maybe a couple of series locally that makes sense. Um, so when I'm consulting with a, with a program, it could be an IUPUI or it could be a power team or a lot of teams in between, as there are hundreds. Um, and we're trying to figure out what makes sense strategically 
uh, for those programs. And then <clears throat> since I'm in the conversations with a lot of different events themselves and the neutral site organizers, um, what I try to do to add value to those conversations is just, you know, uh, make sure we have each other's contact information, send them some teams that make sense for their outline and their strategy. Um, but the, the, the reason I get so involved is because I'm passionate about helping the schools that maybe don't have all the opportunities. Uh, you know, I, I happen to live in the Bay Area, so I'm close to San Francisco, St. Mary's, Santa Clara, some very strong mid-major programs around me um, that are just fighting and scrapping for a chance to play a team like in Indiana uh, on any year. Um, and it's not easy to do. Um, it, 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 in fact, you know, you, even a team like Houston last year, nobody wanted to play them, right? So uh, they were part of the American Conference. And, and so scheduling just got so many different layers of dynamics um, that, you know, it, it really takes like a full menu of teams to look at uh, to, in a lot of cases to get one to say yes. Rocco, the, the, the mid-major thing is, is, um, always amazing to me. I understand how the bigger power schools, you say they're already locked into their events and they have some of their conference, uh, alignment games. And so then they want to get some buy games in. So for their season ticket package and all that, but it's frustrating to me as a pure college fan, not a bracketologist, not an assembly call host from a pure, pure that we don't see some of these solid mid-majors getting a home game against a big school or even just traveling to a, a, a bigger school. Um, could you just address why that is so difficult? Is that uh, a bracketology concern, a number of victories concern? Is it a money concern? But it just seems like the San Francisco's don't travel to Indiana I anymore. Uh you know, and yeah. even even smaller schools like uh, that are that are really have been really good and fun to watch. Uh, the Oral Roberts, no one wants to play them because they're good. And then we talk schedule strength, come bracketology, and those schools have to fight tooth and nail uh, to get into the tournament. So, what's the main issue in, in that struggle to get those types of games on on the college uh, schedule? Yeah, no, you nailed it uh, on the head. It's a, it's a huge frustration for me too. just observing all this like you guys do is um, not getting those games that we would love to see. And I think I think the number one reason starts with uh, the pressure. If you have a job in the Big Ten, if you have a job in the Big 12 or the SEC or any of the power conferences, the pressure to win is immediate. You know, we can see coaches get fired in a year. And if you're in a league where, you know, maybe going into the year you're picked eighth or seventh, or maybe you feel like you're, you're last, or maybe you feel like you're, you know, not top three, a lot of those coaches just err on the side of caution. And if they've got 11 spots to fill for non-conference, um, not to call anybody out, but like Minnesota in your league, they, they tend to not want to play very many hard games because they know when they play 20 Big Ten teams, there's a good chance they're going to lose a good ch chunk of them. Um, you know, obviously not, not to pick on them. They've had good years before, but but it really is a season to season thing now, especially with the portal and with all the changing parts of college basketball. It's a, it's a year to year sport. And so, you know, if the, there's no scheduling governance nationally. And so with with that structure, if you're not forced to play a game, you're, you're not going to play it. And um, unfortunately, here's where bracketology plays in, fellas, with the net system, you can actually go and play you know, eight or nine guarantee home games where you're almost guaranteed to win. If you, if you're an amazing scheduler, like Iowa state's really been amazing at this in the last couple of years where they get almost every, uh, besides their event, they'll play basically every game at home. And 
they're they're amazing at finding like the Alabama A and M's, the North Carolina A and T's, the uh, you know teams from the Southland, Arkansas Pine Bluff, et cetera, um, to come fill up their schedule, get nine wins, and then maybe they go two and one in their event and they enter Big Twelve play at a shiny eleven and one. Uh, but y- you know they'll you you and Andy and I will get on podcasts and be like Iowa State hasn't played anybody yet. I don't know how good they are. But then if they just coast to a 500 Big 12 record, the net system seems to be rewarding them because they'll play 20 quad one or two A games. Um, and that drives me nuts. I, I think, you know, that's something that the net missed versus RPI because RPI used to give you a lot of credit for playing on the road. And um, you do get a little extra credit for playing on the road in, in the net era, but it really doesn't reward a team in that type of position money wise that can just go by eight or nine wins like that. And so I do think the net, if, if they want to make it be, uh, fair and equitable across college basketball, which I do have my doubts, um, they should reassess kind of a little bit on how that system uh, rewards teams, um, in my opinion. Yeah, so one more kind of general question, and then a couple, we'll, we'll hit a couple of more IU-specific things. So you look at a school – as you said, it is a year to year proposition and things change quickly. So we'll use the best example is going to be this year is Florida Atlantic. So they come off the season they had, they got most everybody coming back, you know, games that they probably would have been able to get a year ago. They're not going to be able to get now for the same reason we talked about before is nobody wants to play them because they're afraid to get beat. Um, you know, how, how does, what are some of the inner workings of that? I think it's, it's not like college football, obviously where you got games set out, you know, I, you will announce somebody they're playing in 2029, uh, in, in football. It's, it's not that way in basketball. So how do you, you know, if you, if you're trying to help Florida Atlantic this year, like how do you pivot from what they probably would have wanted to do before all that success? And and how do you pivot into something that still allows them to schedule well enough to be successful again? They're obviously changing conferences that helps a little bit. Um, But just as a, I guess, a case study, uh, if you will, of how quickly things can change, you know, maybe talk through a little bit of, of, of a team like that. Yeah, no, I mean, for Florida Atlantic, I mean, they were so uh, unbelievably successful in the tournament, as we all know, getting to the final four. And you, you've got your Goodmans and Rothsteins right now putting them in their top 10. And and I think a lot of uh, the country has bought into that. So Florida Atlantic's in a, a, in a very unusual spot, honestly, where – um, they're going to be able to do a lot of things that most teams in their situation can't. Uh, they Like ESPN went out of their way to make sure they got into the Orlando event. I think that's out in public now. Um, and, and so they'll get three great games in Orlando. There's a team, I think, from every power conference in that event. Uh, we're, we're all familiar with it, the one in uh, Disney World down there at ESPN events. Um, so that's three games there. They're, get, they're getting a, a game in Chicago eventually to play in the Barstool Sports event. Well, they'll, they'll play in, I think they'll play an Atlantic 10 team there. The, the, the Hall of Fame's having them play an Atlantic 10 team. So I think teams are like, because Florida Atlantic's projected to be top 20. They Everybody kind of wants to play them. It's, it's weird. Um, usually that's not the case for a team from their league because there's like that, you got to look at it as a floor versus ceiling opportunity. And I think everybody's looking at Florida Atlantic's floor as like still really, really high. Like they're still going to be a quad one. Um, so they're just getting some special treatment that I haven't really seen from a team like that. Uh, but I'll, t- I'll give you a b- another example, like North Texas, who's also very, very strong, been in the top 50, I think three straight years now. Um, there's still a team that a lot of power schools are like, there's no way we're playing them. Um, and, and the, the power, uh, conference teams, when they, 
the reason they always want to play each other, I think from a coach's job security standpoint, like if you go and lose to North Texas on national TV, the common fan might look at that like in a football point of view and be like, this coach has got to go. Can't beat North Texas. What is this? Right. But those of us basketball guys know that North Texas is probably uh, just as hard as half the power conference teams that are out there, uh, if not harder. Um, and so there's this whole perception side of, of scheduling that I don't think the public ever really takes into account or maybe even maybe it is kind of a blind spot. But, yeah, like I, I, I will call around for a team like North Texas uh, all over, you know, the power six and uh, and pretty much get predominantly knows from everybody. Um, and so there is and that's that, that's what makes your question an excellent one, because um, you can imagine if it's North Texas, it's also you know, teams like UAB, VCU, Drake, you know, a lot of t- College of Charleston is going to be good next year. That's another good example um, where there's this perception versus reality thing. They might actually get a quad one, but they won't take the risk. Yeah. Is, is there a solution um, in, in your mind doing this that uh, would, would make sense for uh, a scheduling a game or two for, for these teams that are really good teams, as you mentioned, that everyone you call says, no, I, I don't want them in my place, and we're definitely not going to their place. Is there uh, a solution that is on the horizon? Yeah, I don't know if there's one on the horizon. I have a couple ideas that I still feel very strongly about. So one, if we had a – I think the easiest solution, uh, Brian, is is to have a national scheduling coordinator. Um, it, the hard part is, as you guys know, the NCAA is basically lost – a lot of any kind of authority that they may have used to have in this area, um, you know, losing court cases, NIL, all that. And, and now events themselves, you know, even doing like a one day neutral in Las Vegas, will have some NIL opportunities for teams to come out there. Um, that's just become the norm in the last couple of years. And so, you know, everything's got to be attached to that. And I don't know how, you know, some, some guy sitting in Indianapolis can just (laughs) make teams play each other. It's just, it's just kind of become unrealistic these days. Let's be honest. Um, But my idea that I think could really work. And I think as a bracketologist, we would agree, this would be amazing. Um, You know, the G league every year, uh, just to bring it back to the pros uh, and I'm not a big pro basketball guy, but every year around the holidays, they do a four day showcase in Las Vegas at the Mandalay Bay the entire thing is televised and every team comes there and plays two games. You get, you get a game, then you get a day off, then you get a game then you leave town and it's full of scouts for the NBA. Um, I think if college basketball, just especially with every, where everything's going with NIL, especially with teams trying to um, get more non-conference opportunities later in the year, if we did something like that for four days, like at the start of February or late January, and we just took like, you know, we'd need a lot of conferences to buy in, but there's got to be enough uh, motivation to get the Big Ten, the SEC, et cetera, to do something like that. Um, make the whole thing a scouting event, include some of the best mid-majors and make little 14 pods where you would have effectively a semifinal, a championship game and a third place in each pod. And that would just boost up everybody's schedule that went and volunteered to be part of that and also gave the players, especially prospects, the opportunity to play in front of scouts and, and be televised. You know, that's kind of my mini idea to, to try to make a better sport. Um, the one frustrating thing as somebody that follows mid-majors closer than most is their entire at-large case is on the line from day one. And it kind of ends at, at the holidays because they have no more non-conference games. So I would love to, because so many of those teams are stronger by March. We all know that. 
I want to see how they would do against a power five team at the end of January, early February in a, in a perfect world. Yeah. It, it's interesting. This is, I, I don't even remember how many years ago this has been. It's been a long time, but I did something when they still had the bracket busters, I kind of did some analysis to see like, did that actually help people? And the answer was no. Uh, right. In general, it, it was almost used as a way to eliminate, you know, you'd pit the two best against each other and the team that would lose is like, well, tough. Uh, right. It is right. essentially what it amounted to. There were very few times where two good teams played each other, and regardless of the outcome, they both made it. It's been years and years, and I think the site that this is on is long gone uh, from now. But, <laughs> um, but anyway, but it, it's interesting because you hear that stuff thrown out, and it's like I think in some ways that potentially the motivation is good, but the net outcome is not really what you'd think it would be. But um, so a couple, I, I guess, IU related questions first. I'm going to use the fact that they've played this home and home series with, with Kansas over the last couple of years yeah. uh, as an example, you know, there's, there's all these different uh, multi-team events. There's different neutral court games. There's all these things. There are not very many of these home and home, uh, you know, series that, that power conference teams are setting up with one another outside of ones that are, you know, traditional rivalries. You talk about Iowa state, you know, they're going to play Iowa every year. Um, and, and kind of alternate there and play on each other's home floor. But in general, that's not happening. I mean, what's your take on that? Is that just because of, you know, you mentioned some of the NIL opportunities of being able to play in some of these neutral sites. You know, is that a pendulum that you see shifting anytime soon to be able to have more of those games? I think, is again, as a pure fan, those games are awesome. Um, yeah. But it's also, I understand from the school's perspective, there may be a lot of reasons they don't want to do things like that. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think that it's a tier structure thing again, like for Indiana and Kansas, I think it's perfect. And it makes great sense because those programs are, are so established and, you know, regardless of the, the roster or the team, you can feel good about that being a highly televised spotlight game. Uh, so we saw, we're going to see this year starting a series at Duke with Arizona and Duke. Um, and then Duke will play their first true road non-conference game in years uh, in two years when they come to Arizona. Um, but Arizona also did that with Alabama, who, you know, you can start to depend on as a program that's going to be there at the top. Uh, as long as Oates is there, you would imagine. Uh, and then, you know, so there's a few of those starting to brew, which is, I think is, I totally agree with you as a, as a purist. I think we're all, you know, similar age group and, and yeah, we all want to see that. I, I think for the rest of the teams, even top 25 level teams, top 50 level, it becomes a war of attrition in terms of, going back to that one year at a time mentality, it's, uh, and I, I think part of the, the brutal part of the business is, you know, um, there's 360 something teams, right? Let's just say there's 360. Uh, if you, if you look at the coaching carousel every year, 60 jobs turnover on average this year, we had 59, I think the year before we had 61. So 60 is a really good average to use. So that's basically one out of every six coaches in the country are, are going to change over next year. Um, and that what that creates is, and that's a much higher number than it used to be in the past. Um, what that creates is a lot of the home and home series is that you saw traditionally uh, don't get returned because a new coach can come in and say, Hey, I didn't sign up for this game. We're going to scrap the contract. And, you know, uh, some, the school that started on the road is, is left kind of holding the bag and not getting that return game. Or we see a lot of things, even at the top, like uh Auburn and Washington for example Washington played at Auburn in 2019 it took four years to get Auburn to come back and finally return it 
Um, you know, right now, not to call them out, but like Baylor's doing the same thing to Stanford that Stanford played down there, I think three years ago and Baylor still hasn't come back to play Stanford. So um, there's just a lot of like <clears throat> finagling based on your, your year coming up, your team coming back. Do you want to go play that game? If you don't really feel like playing it, there's usually a, some sort of angle or charade you can create to get out of it for a year or, or, you know, kick the can, can down the road. It's really unfortunate because it's created a lot of trust issues with scheduling. Um, the other, the other, other element of this of course is the net. So if you go play, you know, let's just go play Indiana and Arizona in Las Vegas, then it's, you know, it's a neutral game, probably a, a safer chance. It's quad one instead of me needing you to be top 30 for a home game to be quad one. Um, or top, you know, top 15 for a quad one a, so I think all of that goes into play as well. Uh, St. Mary's down the street for me, they've mastered it. They played five neutral court games last year. Santa Clara did something similar. Um, and I think that for those types of programs, it just makes more sense. Uh, you know, they, St. Mary's does get a good crowd every game, but, um, you know, they don't mind going to some empty arena and taking on a team, uh, and, and it works well for them. It works well for a lot of places. So, so, so Rocco, going back to IU or a pot, you could just say any power, but we'll say Indiana and you're consulting them. If you're being asked to consult them, uh, 11 non-conference games, you mentioned Iowa state kind of goes on the slight end of that Michigan state at times is an example of a team that, you know, sometimes Izzo goes, man, we overscheduled early and played so many tough games. How many games for a power, uh, conference out of those 11, uh, should be, you know, those maybe toss-up games or really competitive games. And then is there a place for buy games in the college basketball? Or is there some middle ground which you would suggest and on a consulting basis to a school like Indiana? Yeah, well, I, I think like the Michigan States and the Indianas right now, if, you know, imagining that they're forecasted to be a top 15, top 20 program uh, in, going into that year, you, you kind of schedule based on what you think you have and where you're going. Michigan State, Kansas, traditionally under Self and Izzo, uh, they always have loaded schedules, but they also know if we load up our schedule and we go five and four or God forbid, four and five, um, we're fine. Like we're, we're totally fine. We're, our team's going to get better by playing all those tough games. And in Big Ten, that's going to pay off down the road or in Big 12, that's going to pay off. And they've done that consistently. You know, I think all three of us know the data on those two. Um, Indiana could do the same thing if they chose. Um, you know, I think, I think even if you wanted to split them in half, if you have 11, you could do, you know, three games in a big event or two games in a big event, play, play three other really good games. Like Indiana has Kansas this year. I think that they'll probably take on one other big game. Not, not sure when that's going to happen or who it's going to be. I know everybody's going to ask. They've scheduled um, Auburn. Auburn came out yeah, last yeah. weekend. Yes, in Atlanta, in Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm, I'm actually helping those guys with a few more games down there. Um, so, so yeah, so they'll have, they'll have their nice mix. But I, but I think, you know, <clears throat> I talked to a Pac-12 team who's middle of the pack earlier today, and last year they bought they bought seven buy games and, um, you know, didn't do anything for them. They only had a couple games that could move the needle. Uh, they didn't do well in those games. They played okay in the, in the league and um, felt, you know, it was pretty clear by, by March they weren't getting in. Um, so this year they're going all in. Instead of buying seven games, they're only going to buy four. Um, they've got a good rivalry team they're going to play, and then they'll end up with, uh, they're, they're, you know, we're working on three different games where they can either do a home-and-home home, uh, on two of them, and then one, like, maybe in Vegas, 
Um, and, and so that's how the mentality can start to shift. Um, another team I can comment on, I think publicly is fine, is Clemson. Um, you know, I think the three of us know last year they were 342nd in non-conference mm-hmm. trade to schedule. Um, if you, I think if you ask us, we would have said no matter how far they go ACC tournament-wise, they're probably not getting in with that. Um, and that that does something to a coach because now Clemson's scheduling a lot harder this year. I, I don't have to share their games, but you'll, you'll be able to look at the comparison from last year to this year. So th- th- that's what fascinates me is like these middle-of-the-pack power conference teams, the pendulum can swing big time, um, you know, because they're not – they're not at the top of the league picking which games they want. They're not Carolina. They're not Duke. Um, same thing happened last year with Wake Forest from the season prior when they, I think, were 341 in non-conference. Yep. Oh. All right, so we got a few listener questions here that I'll throw to you. N- none of them are specifically who is IU going to schedule, so you're off the hook on that. Um, Thanks. <laughs> so first one comes from Rick. He says, who has the final say on the schedule, the AD or the head coach? Uh, it's pretty much the coach, 90 90- seven to 98% of the time. Um, I'd say the extreme exceptions is with rivals, you know, so like an example last year, uh, BYU and Utah state, I think have played each other 24 straight years. And then they decided to publicly, it was, it got kind of ugly in Utah between those two schools with BYU joining the big 12 and then not playing in football. You know, there was a game lined up last year in basketball, all set, ready to go. And the AD came over the top and uh, I won't say which school, but they uh, just decided not to play. So there's like one of your two percenters. Um, But those are like the only times I see it. Like if a team's realigning from conference to conference, you know, uh, like Jacksonville State this year, they're going from uh, the uh, A-Sun to the Conference USA. Um, Like A-Sun teams won't play them anymore, even if they were – you know, I'd verbally agreed. So some of this, some of it comes from realignment. Others come from rivals. Everything else is coach driven uh, from my experience. Okay. Uh, Andrew's question. Uh, any, any thoughts on a potential replacement for the ACC big 10 challenge from really more from the big Ten's perspective? Um, anything that you can see coming up to kind of replace that? I, I guess more from the standpoint of it being another, conference versus conference type scenario or does that really just free up big 10 teams going forward to try to find another big game on their own without being forced into it i think it'd be smart to do it i don't know i haven't heard of anything for sure coming together but i think the obvious partner would be the big 12 um you know because the big Big 12 does have a challenge with the big east um but you know obviously the big 12 like has been the number one league seven of the last eight years, maybe more than that. And, you know, the league's deeper now, so you can actually pay up, pair up more of the teams. Um, you know, big, big 10 sitting there, 14 teams this year, the big 12 will have 14 in the future. They'll have 12. Um, so I think they would be interested in doing that because I think they really liked having that late January game in my conversations with some of the schools there. Um, you know, big 10 would have to be willing to, to do a late January game, I think, to make that interesting. But uh, yeah, we'll see. That's just kind of my own perspective. I don't have any actual uh, knowledge of conversations yet, but I just think that's the low-hanging fruit. I don't see them really doing anything with the Pac-10 because I think obvious reasons you've got USC and UCLA going over there, and that's uh, that's probably not a bridge that's going to be formed. 
<laughs> no, probably not. Probably not. Uh, and it, and you know, the Big Ten's done the Gavit games the last handful of years. That's always been odd because it's you're not playing in it every year. Not all the teams are in it. Right. It never really like it makes for some decent games. Like the IU Xavier game last year was a great game, but the as an event, really never has resonated at least from from my standpoint uh and then last one here was from uh brian which i thought was an interesting one and, and so it was essentially with cal the college football playoff schedule expanding yeah. that takes another weekend in december that wasn't already spoken for from a football perspective and and typically that third weekend in december has been a place where there have been some pretty high quality non-conference uh basketball games that have been on but if that weekend now becomes dominated by college football, you know, what are some things that college basketball might do uh, to adjust? Or have you heard any you know rumblings or early thoughts about what they might do or how that might impact a typically good weekend of, of college games? Yeah, I think they're going to have to look to do more during the week, um, you know, because they can get those Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday slots. Um, but, yeah, I, I think. Uh, yes, yeah, especially for the top of the sport games that we're used to seeing on those Saturdays, I would I would start looking towards the week, kind of like what we see around Thanksgiving or even the first week of the year um, with Champions Classic. You know, those are Monday or Tuesday night games. And then um, all those great events around Thanksgiving or Monday through Wednesday, like, you, you know, Maui Classic's like the only thing on. Um, so they would have to start figuring out a, a different strategy to play double triple headers on on uh, some of those nights probably around the holidays and then maybe maybe interesting places for people to go travel and see a game right like maybe do some stuff in Chicago or big cities to um, capture some of that holiday attention uh, which which they do starting to do more anyway um, they, they're doing that on the third Saturday now um, I, I think I think this year uh, you know I can't really share all the the matchups yet but uh, December 16th, in a variety of games with with quality teams, there's nine different cities hosting um, what we would consider neutral events, all the way from Southern California up to New York and everything in between. So, um, so yeah, so they, they're definitely capitalizing on it now. You're spot on, but I, I think you would just have to start spreading that out on the weeknights. Coach, anything else? you got here i feel like we could probably talk to rocco about this for a while but trying to be <laughs> yeah. somewhat respectful of his time and also not find oh, ourselves yeah. winding up with a you know two-hour show on a thursday night so trying yeah to, you know to, not really just thanks that. rocco for for coming on and explaining some of the things as, as bracketologists we know strength of schedule uh matters uh, and you know you you have the all of those things that you explain coaches pressure uh, money, finances, all of those things go into to a schedule, and I've always been been one, you know, uh, schedule schedule smart, and you have a little better chance to get into the tournament. I think scheduling is very, very, very important um, to help your team be better on the court, but also when it comes down to what we do and what the NCAA committee does in the fall. And so I, I just I, I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing that. Hey, my pleasure. Yeah, you're 100% right. And I think, you know, the frustrating part about it is sometimes when um, a, a committee member comes on and says they didn't schedule hard enough and, and I kind of know the team that he's talking about and knowing that they tried and bend over backwards to get these games and just flat out couldn't get the games, um, it, it's tough. But but I get it. Yeah, it's, it's so crucial. And I think, you know, I think with NIL, like I said, with my kind of wild idea of how to how to get better games down the stretch, um, you know, I think it, w there could be some opportunities within that in the future to 
do stuff later in the season. Um, I, you know, the, I think the key is like we talked about from the top, the, the power leagues, you know, finding enough motivation for them uh, to, to do something in late January or early February um, would, would help move the needle at least a little bit. And, and you're right, Andy, like, Bracket buster idea. Some of that's coming back, actually. Like Mac and Sunbelt are doing a challenge this year where the second game is going to be early February. Um, but you're right. Like they, even if they pit the two best teams in those leagues against each other, A, there's a good chance neither of them will be an at-large uh, candidate by then. And if one of them is, it could just be a de facto knockout game. So um, we'll, we'll see. We, at least there's effort going on, and and that inspires me. And, and um you know, uh, whatever we can do to get better games across the sport, like that's exactly why I'm getting as involved as I am. Well, Rocco, we appreciate you dropping by, uh, talking to us tonight. It was a, a lot of fun. Good connecting with you again after uh, a few few week hiatus since our last uh, field in the 68. Uh, if anybody not following Rocco, you can find him at Rocco Miller 8 on Twitter and bracketeer.org is the uh is the website so uh certainly would encourage everybody a good follow for all things college basketball and uh it was great catching up with you yeah thank you so much andy thanks brian really good to yeah. talk to you guys again all right well that will uh take care of uh of our scheduling conversation and coming up here on assembly call radio we'll hit the mailbag uh for a handful of questions before we wrap things up tonight so stick with us here on the assembly call We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And... Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. All right. Good stuff. Awesome stuff, Rocco. Really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, thanks. I'll, I'll check out the full episode later. Appreciate it, guys. All righty. Take All care. Right. Thanks, buddy. All right. Yep. Stay All in right. touch. Talk soon. All right. We'll, All right. We'll do. All right. Bye-bye. All right, coach. We'll hit a few questions. Yeah, lots of uh, we didn't really get into. I mean, we talked touched a little bit on the bracketology implications of that, but uh, yeah, really, really good stuff from him, and uh, got a little bit more insight into what he does with the teams, which, like I said, I knew a little bit on the surface about, but uh, definitely a lot of moving pieces to understand how you do that, and and like I 
put in the chat for you. You were kind of reading my mind with the question about IU. I know we talk about that a lot of what's, you know, maybe the optimal way to do it. And I think the big, you know, big takeaways where it does really depend a lot. We've talked about that with the, even in Woodson's tenure depends a lot about on what you need, what you know about your personnel. And the good thing uh, about the way the scheduling works there is that it does offer you some flexibility to say, Hey, if this team maybe isn't what I thought it was going to be, cause I had guys leave or different things like that, you've got some opportunity to pivot in certain scenarios. Obviously sometimes you're locked into uh, to some of these different events, but, but in general it offers up a lot more flexibility than, than you might see in some other sports. So be interested yeah, to see how IU fills out the rest of the schedule and then kind of gives you some context to put those decisions in when you see them after the fact. Yeah, you know, and then you get beat by Indiana State and I and, and Purdue Fort and the whole, Wayne and the whole damn a couple times, out the window, right? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like we aren't, we're not scheduling those. Low, we're not scheduling Ball State with with Lewis, you know, because he did a good job there. And and I get that, but you know, when, when you and I started watching Indiana basketball, there was Evansville, Ball State. Uh, those games were on the schedule quite a bit. Um, you know, and then, you know, I went back and looked at some of the games back in the, the archaic old days when I was in college, and you had Kansas State coming in. And, I mean, you really, you know, the, the schedules were were full of teams now that would never, ever, you would never have 9, 10, 11 of those, you know, I, I was it the 9, what, 90, not 91, the 81 team. If you go look at their schedule, uh other than the Indiana Classic, it was always like the schedule was tough, and then you had the Indiana Classic at Market Square Arena where you had the, the two games you were likely to win. Um, and you had the Indiana Classic in yeah. Bloomington, so you had four games you could likely win, and then everything else was just loaded, and you had that was more games. Yeah. yeah, you had like nine other games that were – Notre Dame was on the schedule every year. Kentucky was on the schedule every year. Louisville quite a bit. Um yeah, I, I just I, yeah. I get all the all the stuff, but I want to tell coaches you want to keep your job, win those games. Like you're going to keep your job by playing North Dakota State of San Francisco. Um, you ain't keeping your job if you do that anyway, and that's not getting you ready to beat the Illinois and the Michigans and all all of that. I, I don't quite. You don't want to over schedule, but um, we've had far too much under scheduling at Indiana. In my yeah, opinion. I mean you're also. Uh, it, to your point, you, you got to try to balance, and this is ultimately where there's you know some art and there's some art to it as well. You're, you're trying to balance the ability to win games with the ability to prepare yourself for what is to come over the course right. of the season. And I think sometimes that scale tips a little bit too far in the winning games category, and you set yourself up to be, well, crap, it's January, and this is the first true road game you played all season. Well, yeah that's probably not going to go well. Um, so you got to kind of figure out how to, how to do some of that stuff. But yeah. It, I mean, it's crazy to look back at some of those other schedules and, and, and ultimately at the, at the root of it for me is just as an overall college basketball fan, not, not necessarily specific to IU is that there's certain games that you want to see. And that's kind of why I asked the question about how do you get more games played in on campus venues, knowing, understanding all the reasons that there, the schools would have not to do that. Like those are awesome atmospheres. And how do you get more of that? That to me is what helps grow the sport. And it's not you, you tune in to games on a Monday through Friday in November. And there's like three good games the whole week. Um, like that doesn't do it. But too often 
if you've got two good games on a given night in November, it's like, man, this is a pretty good slate. And it's yeah, like, exactly. it's really not when you got, you know, 90 games played and there's two of them that actually have probably some implication to something. So it's all well, try to figure out the balance of that. But And again, I, I, I try really hard not to be that old man and yell at everyone to get off my lawn too. But Notre Dame and UCLA used to play a home and home, a non-conference. Uh, Notre Dame used to play DePaul, yep. Marquette. I mean, those were rivalry games that were fantastic to watch as a college basketball fan, even though I was an Indiana fan. Uh, you know, uh, Illinois, Missouri, they, they have that still going, I believe. Th- those kinds of games. And then, then again, I, like I said, I remember Ball State playing in Evansville uh, all the time coming into Assembly Hall. Uh, th- those are, you know, those games are long gone now, I think. But anyway. Yep. You ready for this? All right. Three? Well, let's hit. Yeah, we can probably hit. I, probably I put some in these, there at the last second. Most of the newer questions. Yeah, probably most of the newer ones. I think some of these others are holdovers. Um, yeah, the one a little get down bit. about the select eight players. There's me. Yeah, yeah Chad, there's maybe Chad's question. one. There's maybe one of the ones down the bottom. I'll bump up and maybe. Yeah, maybe Lisa is the last button. new question I think that we have from the. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's another one down below that maybe we'll maybe we'll yeah. hit as well. Some of these we might right. have touched on a little bit already. We'll Here we'll we figure it out. Hey, it's Romeo Langford. What's the only thing better than hand a game winner to beat Wisconsin? Celebrate it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosers. And welcome back to the assembly call. I'm Andy Bottoms here with the coach, Brian Tonsoni. And now it is time for our mailbag. Most of these questions, uh, as always, submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community, which you can learn more about uh, and join over at assemblycall.com slash community. Uh, all right. So, you know, Coach, first question comes from Bruce. Why does IU guarantee a four-year scholarship when a player can transfer at any time? Seems like a one-sided commitment, in my opinion. Yeah. You Thoughts know, on that? I think, I think the, the recently... thing that I would point out is that it really is a year-to-year scholarship so it's not the four-year thing maybe that's what you're getting at so sorry if i stepped on your toes isn't uh they can stay at school for four years but the athletic scholarship i mean the position on the basketball team is not guaranteed is that what you're saying that's my understanding yes yes yeah, so, so you're you're guaranteed i think iu's to... done some things with their like student athlete bill of rights and right it's like on that, their, but i think it's the a student athlete bill scholarship of rights itself and... is like a one-year renewable situation and, and bruce you ask a good question right now with nil and, and, and the transfer portal where kids are transferring three or four times, I would have answered that in the past of, I think that's good for IU to commit because we want players to commit. But we're in an era of non-committing uh, and, and good kids not committing for four years. So uh, to me, it changes a, a little bit. If it's going to be total free agency, then it's total free agency. Um, there, there's good and bad parts to it, and I'm mostly for it. But um, – I do think that's from a academic institution. I think that's uh, good that if, if a kid wants to be at IU and comes in and, and isn't good enough to continue on basketball scholarship that IU guarantees, if that is in the correct wording, I haven't seen the, the Bill of Rights myself. Uh, I, I don't have a problem with that. Um, 
because of the commitment thing, but man, it is a good question in this day and age. Um, you know, the loyalty that we all like and want seems to have vanished and, um, you just got to run with it and it is the way it is. So, um, yeah, I don't see that going away because that would just look ugly if you took away that student bill of rights. Um, but I wonder if the wording and the way it's operated will change over time. Yeah, and I, I think the challenge for, you know, you've got coaches who are going to leave. Um, I think there's a little bit of a, uh, the, a certain level of hypocrisy on some of that where, you know, the coach is committed until they get a better offer uh, at times. And I think depending upon the level of school, that maybe is understood. Um, but I think there's that piece of it. And, and there's also, you know, if, if you think that coaches aren't out there running off guys who might want to stay but can't, uh, for whatever reason, then you're kind of kidding yourself on that front as well. So I, I don't know that it's all as, uh, you know, everything's probably not as above board as all we'd all like it to be. And uh, But it is a good question uh, for that. I'm not sure there's a great answer given the, the times and everything else that's going on. You know, and the uh, other side of that, Andy, right. is oh, I, I, I think the coach has a right to say, hey, you know what, young man, you've been here two years. You're not doing the things we ask you to do, and I'm going to go a different direction. I know that's called – running kids off or, or creaming. We had that, all that stuff. But, you know, you bring a kid in in good graces and he doesn't work hard and doesn't do anything. I think you, you got to, what, what is it called now? You have to have that honest conversation. We're not going to play you. You might want to go elsewhere. Um, if, if this is going to be like a pro situation where players can ask for money and do things, then you better come in. There's another side. The coach has to be able to say um, – we don't want you in the program anymore. You better go into the transfer portal because we're, we want to go a different direction because it is the pressure that Rocco talked about. I want to win, and son, you ain't helping me win. Uh, it's it's tough. That's just tough news, and it, and it hurts. But, you know, this is a, this is a two-way street, and I think it, uh, it's only fair if players and coaches and all that have freedom to leave that the coach can say, uh, I want to go a different direction. Yep. Next question from uh, Philip. Do you know how the Big Ten determines who each team will play twice during Big Ten play? Of course, Indiana always plays Purdue twice. How do they select the rest of the schedule? Uh, put this question in here because I thought it was good. Uh, I have no idea is the answer. Um, it doesn't appear to be a ton of rhyme or reason because it even feels like there are times when you might go two years in a row and only have a single play against somebody. So I don't even think that it's a, oh, you played this team twice last year, so you definitely won't the following year. Um, and it also doesn't seem to be in any way based on who from a standings perspective is expected to be good. That'd be really hard based on when they release it now because rosters are so in flux. So, um, great question. No idea. There seems to not be any pattern year to year that I've been able to discern at this point. Uh, Scott, uh, we touched on this a little bit, um, you know, Phil Dickinson to KU helps us as their starting lineup makes it harder for Mbako to grab a lead role. And given that he left Duke because Filipowski returned, maybe there's a corollary there. Coach, you think that's a reasonable line of thinking? Yeah, I, I do. I, I think, obviously, we have to sell him on a, a better offense than what we've run in the past. Um, but I, I think that a young man like that might be one a one-and-done or at least two-and-done. 
and he wants to come in and be able to have the shots and, and the, the minutes. So I do think there could be a, a correlation where some of these schools, you know, St. John's got a, quite a bit of guys in. They're probably still looking for lead guys, so that could be a competition. Who else besides uh, St. John's and Kansas? Uh, Louisville, right? Uh, yep. I think he has a better chance of winning and making a name for himself at Indiana than going to Louisville. So um, unless yeah. there is something the young man doesn't see fit in the program or the offense or something, I do think those things uh, – you know, uh, play a role. Yep. Uh, from Craig, what's the newest news of UCLA and USC joining in 2024, 2025? Their plans are having two divisions for basketball, number of conference games, change of venue for the Big Ten tournament. Uh, I'm not, you know, these are great questions. So this falls again under the, I don't know. I don't really see how you could play more conference games, though. Um, given some of the scheduling things that we talked about before, really seems hard to fathom taking away you know additional buy games because in order to get it to be balanced in terms of having both you know both you got to add two at that point you get to 22 games doesn't leave you a whole lot on the other end maybe nine to be able to schedule those as we talked about before have some revenue implications of being able to try to have you know more of those buy games and and you know just more home games in general so i would be surprised if that happened from a divisional perspective, that certainly seems like a good time to to revisit some of that, or try to figure out you know different you know pods of of teams or things like that. But I've not heard anything other than some of the speculation that was out there when it first got announced. And then in terms of Big Ten tournament venue, um, you know we saw this at times in the past where they've tried to have it different places. They had it in D.C. They had it at Madison Square Garden. Um, that had you know implications on timing because of when the Big East has it. I guess I would be surprised if they didn't try to have it in LA at some point just because of trying to to capture that market. So I don't think anything has been said there definitively. But if you look at the track record of them trying to hold it in different venues in, in some of these other media markets that they have acquired by getting teams to join the league, it feels like they would at some point. But uh, Coach, I don't know if you've heard anything different. Have other thoughts about those things, but nah, I, uh, I haven't. Question. I haven't heard anything different. I do think you'll see in Los Angeles or Vegas uh, at some point uh, the Big Ten tournament because of the the yep. West Coast teams being added. Uh, Brian Tui says that uh, the rotation of Big Ten scheduling is on a four year rotation since 1920, and that this year is the same uh, double buys and everything as 2020. So uh, that, that would make a lot of sense that they have some formula of, of who you play and then they just make sure that you, over a course of years, have, uh, you know, traveled to and double played um, everyone somehow. So uh, it seems there, according to Brian, there is a, a four-year rotation. You add US, UCLA and USC. Well, and that's he's just be become the head of our research department then. Absolutely. So congratulations on that, Brian. For- <laughs> but you look at extending that rotation now when you add USC and, and USC because of the number of teams you're going to have to play and the double buys change and the single games. Uh, obviously, you're going to have two more single games home and away by adding uh, UCLA and USC. So that rotation formula will have to have to change. All right. Uh, so Lisa had a question here. Um yeah, I think she said not the right question for this show. I think because we had 
you know, framed it more around scheduling, but, um, you know, so her question was, is Woody and staff have I used best of the best marketing team working closely with them to come up with sellable talking points and knock your socks off presentations for recruits and, and having people ready to be able to tweak those, um, if maybe they aren't as effective as they hoped. I, I don't know what insight, if any, you have into that coach. I think that probably is something that if they're doing it right is a little bit different for every player because uh, no different if you're in sales of any kind, which ultimately is what this is, you're trying to figure out what the needs of that given customer are. And, and in this case, the player is the customer. And I think they all want and need to hear different things, but I'm not sure, uh, you know, kind of how they work those up and, and really how that's done. I, I'm not sure if you have any insight on that as well. Uh, I certainly hope from that standpoint that they do have the best of the best working on it, but um, you know, kind of how all those come together would be an interesting yeah. topic for, for somebody who really knows some of the behind the scenes inner workings of that stuff. Uh, I have a, a good friend, Andrew Brown, who works in the Cuban center, a young man who graduated two or three years ago has been working at the Cuban center. Uh, you know, they do the video stuff when you get a recruit, you know, 30 minutes after the recruit signs, they have a, you know, 45 second highlight stuff. He travels with the team and he was with TJD out in Los Angeles to get film. They do such a good job. So yeah, I, I would say I don't have direct knowledge of how that works, but I'm sure someone on IU staff goes to whoever, whether it's the Cuban center or other people in charge of digital media and everything and has uh, presentations for when they come in the pictures with the uniforms, stuff in their hotel room, um, flyers with their names on it, that they do, you know, they, they have a, a young man on campus. They're doing the full court press and the marketing pro promos are, are with everyone. And it's probably up to the coaches kind of saying, what does this kid want to hear? And then the, the marketing team using their skills to, um, to put stuff together and they can put stuff together, um, it's it's amazing. I, I talked to Andrew in the media room before a game and the number of people they had cameras on and the types of cameras and the strategies that they had to collect as much film. And then all of a sudden, you know, a day or so later, I see the compilation of all that stuff. And so uh, I, I think every school works really hard to, to put on the best promotion they can. And so, um, yeah, the, the, the presentations are probably some of the best IU can – uh, come up with uh, as far as whatever the coaches know the player wants and and those those things it'd be fun to see some of those you know uh, after the fact of someone signs and yeah you know you walk in the locker room and there's a projection of uh of Mimbaco in a IU uniform hitting a game-winning shot uh, for the NCAA tournament or something like that and with, with all, all the computer stuff you you better believe they're they're doing something of the of those types of things on these weekends Yep, absolutely. All right, last one comes from Jim. Uh, says, who do we have on the current roster, including Xavier Johnson, who can fill a player leadership void? Obviously losing you know, guys like Race and Trace and, and Miller Cop uh, from a year ago. Do leave a void there. I, I think you have to assume, and you guys have, have touched on this, I believe it was on the show last week, You know about X getting the waiver. I think he becomes really the de facto leader of, of the team in that scenario. So maybe who's another guy? coach that you can see really stepping up in more of a leadership role than what we've seen him with uh, either at IU in previous years, if it's a returning player or some, one of the newcomers who maybe steps into a little bit of that role. Well, on, on the court, I think it's Galloway coach's kid, the way he plays uh, just uh, 
you know, carefree and hard and, and tough and lead by example. And I think Galloway's got a personality. You see him on some of his film uh, clips, uh, hamming it up and doing things. Uh, I think he is the natural second uh, to, to X. And then you cannot underestimate, as I talked about the young man coming in for a walkout, what the job Anthony Leal does on this team, uh, accepting his role, getting very limited run on game nights, but the biggest cheerleader on the bench. You have to have bench energy. Uh, and I don't think a bench guy can be your prime leader because you need your best player to be your hardest worker and your best players to be out there in, in that forefront. Uh, but there is a different type of leadership when it comes from a supporting role uh, on the bench. And, you know, we all hope to maybe see Leo get a little more uh, time on the court, but he is valuable in practice. He's valuable in the community. And he's valuable on that bench. Uh, and then that locker room, I imagine he is just a, a great person to have as a teammate. Uh, so that's a different type of leadership. But the main vocal, get in your face, timeouts, on the court uh, during the dead ball, I think it's X and Galloway. Yeah, I would agree. Galloway feels like of the returning guys, the one whose role has been big enough in previous years for one, but also just – uh, in general, the personality, as you said, uh, he, he feels like the, the somewhat clear choice. And, and what you don't know is with some of the newcomers, who's really somebody who may have that you know, leadership mentality that will surprise you or, or whatever else. But certainly of the returning guys, just looking predominantly at just the amount of things they've been through that they can call upon uh to to help guys through different situations galloway feels like the uh the clear answer so all right, all right I well get out of here, folks. thank you will do it thank you ryan uh for this week's episode of the assembly call uh if you'd like to see us do the show live you can join us at assemblycall.com on thursday nights for the live broadcast of our assembly call radio recording thanks to bob thompson for producing our music and thanks to john ringer of rigdesign.com for designing our logos and thank you for listening uh, we'll be back to talk to you next Thursday or earlier if uh, situations warrant. But until then, take it from me, Jordan Halls. Keep your elbow in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. That's it. We're done. No more questions. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. Hey, the show's over. Here I come, Coach Tonsoni. Uh, fantastic. Fantastic. Good, good stuff. I'm interesting. I'm interested to see if, if renew is a guy who can expand into that. I think hard to, to do given the role that he really had last year, but right. Be interested to see him as a, a sophomore. If he, he becomes a little bit more vocal in that regard. Yeah. And, and a major player too, as a starter, uh, probably somewhat of a go-to depending on where and, and who they get in the, in the wing, uh, a vital part, uh, been through it one, one year already. Uh, I, I almost mentioned him. Um, so I think that's a good call. Uh, really what do you got? Six guys coming least, back. You, you don't have a whole at lot. Least to, is a possibility. Yeah. You don't have a lot. And I think that's a hard situation, especially given the transfers that they have and the roles that they're going to play, at least of who they have right now. I mean, that'd be a lot to expect that from where, from a leadership standpoint, it's still a young guy. Um, you know, coming in that way. Sparks is, is older, uh, but 
in a reserve role, like maybe he's he's that guy because he's passionate about playing for IU. Um, you know, maybe he's somebody who does that. But I, I just think for the same reason you don't ask that a freshman a whole lot, it's you're in a new situation and a new team and trying to learn a whole lot. And some guys just don't feel comfortable exerting themselves in that way uh, in that scenario. And so I think, um, you know, it becomes hard for those guys not to say that none of them would do that, but, um, or could do that. But I, I do think it's probably something that if you go into the season expecting a lot of that from them or, or being in a position to really have to lean on those guys for leadership, I think that's a, I think that's a tough ask. Yeah, and and one of the things that you know would be good to talk about again, maybe over the summer too, is with this transfer portal. Not only do you want talent and stats and and good film, one of the things you need is good fits. And, and with Walker and Sparks and some of these guys, do you have guys that can be led? You know, we talk about who who are the leaders going to be, but do you have a mix of players that can be led uh, by your leaders on the team? You could have great leaders. But if if the the rest eight nine guys around them uh, are resistance to to what needs to be done and are trouble in the locker room, then the locker room is going to be a problem, regardless of your good leadership. Um, I've been around basketball long enough twenty twenty five years that there have been some teams that I've been involved with that had good leaders but didn't have good team chemistry uh, because it was beyond the leader's control because of of some of the misfits that were were on the team and I, and I think that's where a Walker and a Sparks who don't necessarily move the dial for a lot of us stat-wise and and highlight show-wise might be a, a reason the staff has gone to these guys. They want to be there. They want to be a part of a winning program. They want to help move IU. They they can be they can be led by by your leaders too. I think that's a, a fascinating thing in roster construction. Yep, absolutely. So, all right, Alrighty. well, good show, coach. Good stuff from Rocco and. Yep. Hopefully some other good news trickles in between now and next Thursday and give us something else yeah, to talk we, about. We got to get our shows was, in was since, uh, what's that? I, I said, hopefully, you know, I said, hopefully the, the scheduling thing was good as some of that starts to, to get there. But yeah, we're, we're rapidly approaching the, uh, the most difficult part of the off season is <laughs> <Right. laughs> the dust settles on the roster and you got to figure <laughs> that stuff out. And at least you and I got our, our couple weeks off uh, there at the end of May, early June. We got that in early, so now it's up to the other two to have to yep. fill in that's, in, the, yeah. in that downtime. <laughs> yep, that's for other people to figure out, right? So that's we'll, right. Uh, we'll make it work. So <laughs> all awesome. righty, all right. Well, good talking See to you, as everybody. Always. Thanks, Thanks for Bob. tuning in. All right, all right. See you.